I want to talk about, well, I had some really awesome notes, really, really, really awesome, I should say, scriptures about praying for the Lord of the harvest to send in harvesters, seeing as how it's SMTI graduation and we're graduating harvesters. The message was simply like, there's only one prayer request the Lord ever made, which was send me some help. And you can preach that and actually pound lukewarm sheep with it all day long because the only prayer the Lord ever said pray was that the Lord of the harvest would send in harvesters. SMTI raises up harvesters, and we have trouble getting folks to come to church three services a week to be the Lord's answer to prayer. Isn't that cool to think you could be the Lord's answer to prayer? You could answer the Lord's prayer just by being faithful? That message aside, because we were going to talk about the 70 ox of Sakat, which would be really cool typology, but we don't get that tonight. Sorry. It's all right. We'll get to it eventually. When it comes to, you ready? Throw this picture up. This is a famous painting. That's not it. That's it. All right. Famous painting. Sunday. It's a French thing. A Sunday on the greens, whatever. Um, I want to use this as an example for legalism. A lot of people that were up here, one of the things, not everybody, but I could lay a hand on them and feel perceive that the, 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 the Gordian knot, the tangled yarn that was their mind is because they were trying so hard to jot every tittle, cross every T, dot every I, and just fulfill every tick mark, hit every gate, and it's exhausting. And even though we might know we're not under the law per se when it comes to righteousness, our region is legalistic and religious And so when you preach in the abundance of preaching or the abundance of work or just depending on your disposition, you can really want to please everybody, end up beating yourself up because you feel like you're pleasing nothing at all. So then you're like, I need to hit this. Maybe if I do it this way or maybe it was because my elbow wasn't up. And so we understand we get into this jumbled mental mindset and it's exhausting. I... God seems to have graced me to really, really, really study the law of Moses. And I have found, I've been keeping my finger on my own pulse, checking my own spiritual vitals, knowing if I'm doing a deep dive into the Moses, the Mosaic law and the Torah, I could end up legalistic. I totally am mindful of that. But I'm finding the more I understand the law, the more I'm freed up from it in that I'm not trying to fulfill every one of them. The more my mind understands the bigger picture the more I realize what can be missed, what, what's okay if we don't hit it. So this picture here, famous painting, this is an example of stempling, which means that picture is made up of little dots. Every part of that picture is not a brushstroke, it's a dot. If we can understand the bigger picture of what God is trying to do for us, it's really going to free our hearts and our minds up when we fail. If you can see that all the requirements of God paint a big picture, you'll understand as long as you're hitting the big picture, it's okay to miss a dot or two. So if you understand that this is comprised of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of little paint dots, it's the same way your TV works, by the way, then, you know, is anybody going to be critical if you say, well, they missed three green dots over there by the beach? No, but the legalistic anal person will go to hell mentally. I, 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 almost kicking into the Rain Man syndrome. I, I miss the dots. I, 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 I miss the dots. I miss the dots. And to even the most trained professional eye, you look at it and go, what three dots? 
Uh, I, I, well, there's supposed, supposed to be four blue dots out there by the umbrella. Definitely should be four blue dots uh, by the backside of the umbrella. Nobody can tell because the bigger picture is what's caught. And so any law, any requirement wants to paint. There you go. Zoomed in, you can see how the dots produce the picture in a higher, in a better visual visualization. If we're going to try to paint by the numbers to the nth degree, we're going to drive ourselves crazy. Now, obviously, there are some big things that we can hit. We understand the grass should be green. So aim for green. We understand water should be blue. So aim for blue. We understand that maybe that dress should be orange and that dress should be purple and that little girl should be in a white dress. Aim for that. But there's so much more liberty in Christ. And though we want to, we want to do right, God's very gracious and merciful. When we get mentally bogged down in thinking our wealth or excuse me, our, our worth or our acceptance is by hitting every dot precisely. Nobody can live up to that standard. Even in working with on the Torah right now, and I'm by no means a Torah scholar, one of the scholars in going through all the laws of the first five books of the Bible said that apart from, if you're not in Israel, and if there isn't a temple, then there are only call there are only what they call ab, 60 absolute laws for any man. Only 60. That is, there are 60 laws that would apply to every man regardless. If they're not married, it won't apply to them because there are certain laws that only apply if you're married, certain laws that only apply if you have children, certain laws only apply if you have property, certain laws only apply if you have a business. Only 60 laws that apply to every man regardless. Only 46 for women. Now, just having those 60 and those 46 crushed Old Testament Jews because they failed to catch the heart of it. We come over to the New Testament, as we've well taught, there's over 800. And we're responsible for every one of them. Unless, of course, you're married because there are commandments about love your wives as Christ loves the church. And if you have children, well, then you ought to not provoke them to wrath, uh, but to bring them up in the fear and the admission of the Lord. So there are those that are absolutes and those that uh, don't apply to everybody. But the point we have to get is that in studying the Word of God and serving Him, we need to find what the heart of our God is. What's the heart of any commandment? What's the heart of any requirement? What's the heart of any expectation? And you, you might fall short of it, but you were aiming for the heart of it because if we don't capture the heart of God, we're going to get under so much legalism. This region and the spirit of religion that has dwelt here for 200 years via some really backwards Christianity will crush us. And you won't have the victory you need to have. You won't have the victory of, in marriage, victory for your children, victory in your finances, victory over your health. Your mind will just be cinched up, closed up. And th that, that, that voice, the, the, the lying voice of the region will come and tell you you're not good enough. And you'll work harder to try to be good enough rather than just slowing down and saying, Lord, you know what? I'm just going to worship you right now. I don't know. what. The last thing that voice wants you to do is just drop every work and just say, Jesus, you're worthy. Jesus, you're worthy. Lord, have mercy on me. Even with little children, even if they're in a mess, if they stop and say, hold me, mom and dad aren't going to say, no. Like, all right, come here, let me hold you. We still got to talk about this mess, though. We, we, we so legalistically try to get into the work that fixes the last work that didn't fix anything because we don't know, I should say, we, 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 we're trying to please God the way we try to please mom and dad. And it never works. That is also why this next generation of parenting has to be more Christ-like
than perhaps the one we came from, whoever we are and wherever we come from. Because we are all, every one of us bring our relationship with mom and dad to our walk with God until that gets renewed and overhauled. And if mom and dad were always shifting their standard and it was like trying to shoot an arrow at a firefly in the daytime, then you're going to think trying to please God is the same way. And very few people can live up under that horrific standard. And God is not that hard to please. In fact, Paul said it very simply to a bunch of pagans. Anywhere man is found, if he fears God, he can find God. And God will accept him. That's it. Just fear God. And now as you grow in that fear, he's going to say, no, don't do that anymore. And I need you to do this. And as you grow, we understand the scrutiny gets a little tighter, but we become a lot more mature and we understand it a lot better. But if we're trying to please God by making sure every one of those dots is precise, nobody can live up to that. I heard one preacher say, he's a minister. He said, I was raised under a church that was so strict. I don't even think Jesus could please them there. (laughs) That's a strict church. It was a Southern one. It was an Appalachia one. He said, I'm not even sure Jesus would please those people at that church. We need to realize there's a lot more permission in God to put a green dot somewhere wrong because it's not going to ruin the painting. We need to make sure we understand that. uh, In fact, if you were to look closely, you'd probably see some green in the water and you'd probably see some blue in the green in the grass. You probably see some purple in that orange umbrella and probably see a yellow or green dot there in that purple dress. And it's what makes the picture beautiful. And it's, a, it's one of the most famous paintings in the world. Some of you are probably familiar with it, but it's all done with dots. If we are trying to be precise with every dot, it's going to cripple us. God's a lot more merciful, a lot more gracious In fact, that's the whole premise of Galatians is having begun in the spirit. Are you now made perfect by the flesh? Having begun or he that works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law, by the hearing of faith? These are some of the questions Galatians asks sarcastically. And then he goes on to say, um, let us uh, stand fast in the liberty. That's chapter five. Stand fast in liberty. Actually, go to Galatians 5, 1. Stand fast. Galatians 5. 5.1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And that's what I saw mentally, except I saw it with ropes and mental contortion. We need to make sure as parents we don't require our kids to have to. It's almost like uh, Twister. You ever played Twister? Not the tornado thing. The game. Left hand yellow, right hand green, uh-huh. right foot purple or whatever. This is red, blue, green. It's, it's just four colors. And if you're not careful, your kid will have to please mama this way, have to please daddy this way, have to please a Sunday school teacher this way, and, and then assume that that's how God wants them. And that's exhausting. Now, to be brought up that way for 20 years, you're going to hate everybody. Or you're going to be so timid, you're good for nobody. We should, <laughs> moms and dads, our, our, pleasing, our pleasability shouldn't be spun with a finger spinner. How do I please dad today? I don't know. It's just a crapshoot. Well, left foot yellow. Oh, Tuesday started off this way. This ain't going to go well. 
It should not be that difficult. Galatians 5.1 says, To stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, the freedom wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, that is, if you keep the law, that's what circumcision represents, trying to find righteousness through jots and tittles, Christ shall profit you nothing. We want to make sure that we please God with our heart. And when you understand that God looks on the heart, then it's not hard to keep any of the laws. We understand we don't murder. We understand we don't lie. We understand that we don't skip church. We understand we don't steal the tithe. These are all laws that we're under, and they're not hard to keep. Even Jesus said, anytime anybody wants to argue that keeping the law is difficult, Jesus said, my commandments are not grievous. And once you know his heart, it's not hard to do, just like you know your job, and it's not hard to do your job. You understand the protocols, and they become second nature. They extend out of you. But when we as parents... We are always spinning that spinner on our kids, and we want to look at them and say, dance, monkey, because we're just weird and, and sadistic and take out our own parent problems on our kids. Uh, then our kids may grow up to hate our God, thinking that they have to please him because he's going to randomly spin that, that wheel with his finger, and they won't want to have anything to do with our God. It's not that hard. Come back to Galatians chapter 2. I'm sorry, Galatians 3, not Galatians 2, Galatians 3. This only what I learn of you, received you the Spirit by the works of the law, by the hearing of faith. Did we receive the Holy Ghost by the works of the law? What, what law, what spinner did we spin? What ring did we toss? What knob did we twist or button did we push to get the Holy Ghost? And when we received the Holy Ghost, we probably had issues in our life. He was probably doing something in private already when somebody drug us to the Pentecostal altar and said, now speak in tongues. Or we said, I want that. And he filled us with his presence. And out of the abundance of the Holy Ghost, we spoke in tongues. And everything in our private life was a mess. And he still gave us the Holy Ghost. We had no perfection going whatsoever. We were probably eating the paint and not even putting it on the canvas. And he still filled us with the Holy Ghost. We came down and spoke in tongues, and green was coming out of our mouth. And <laughs> have you been eating the paint? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have. I did some. I saw. I saw something. Uh, a tweet or whatever. I like looking at parent posts, parent tweets. I and there's a website I go to. I like seeing parent tweets because I can relate. But one of them said, "I found a parent said I found a half-eaten stick of butter in my bed." So I asked my three-year-old, did you put something in my bed? My three-year-old said, it wasn't a stick of butter. <laughs> that sounds guilty if you ask me. It sounds very, very guilty. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of law, by the hearing of faith? So much, everything, in every moment of our life is by faith. Even when we fail, we fail by faith and say, well, Lord, I wasn't aiming to fail, but there we go. So whoop, there it is. Have mercy on me, Lord. Let's fix this. We, by faith, we still have to hit tick marks. Don't get me wrong. That's the nature of our God. There are rules, but they don't perfect us. 
We're perfected by faith. And once we're perfected by faith, it's easy to keep the commandments because it all proceeds forth out of our heart. It proceeds forth out of our walk with him. I don't have to be reminded, don't lie because the word of God dwells in me. Why would I lie? That would compromise my integrity. I don't have to be reminded, don't steal. Why would I steal in the first place? It comes out of me because it would compromise my integrity. Don't cheat on your wife. Nobody has to remind me of that. Why? Because I walk with God and it proceeds forth out of me. Why would I cheat on my wife? That would ruin my whole life. It's not hard. But the problem is sometimes we don't walk with God enough. And when we don't walk with God, all we're left with is do's and don'ts. And those are so difficult to do on your own. And the New Testament gives us the power and the grace and the Holy Spirit to be able to accomplish by nature what the book of commandments contains. He says, verse 3, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Not that everybody up here is this way, but there were folks up here tonight, and again, we're not condemning anybody. That was a move of God, and he wanted to set people free. That the bondage comes by trying to be perfected by the works of the flesh, and you can't be that. There's too much to do to nail it all. And sometimes you have to, by grace, just let things fail. And say, well, that's a glorious mess. I got a pastor friend of mine. How's your church, pastor? It's a glorious mess. I thought, man, you've been saying that for five years. I think I changed my confession, but they're not faith people like we are, so I don't correct it. I go, praise the Lord. May God show up in abundance and clean up that mess. But sometimes you have to look at your house and say, it's just a glorious mess. And that's honesty. He's honest. He doesn't have any religiosity about him. This is my friend. He said, how do I get my sound guy from bringing his lap dog and putting it next to the sound table during worship? I was like, Tell them dogs aren't permitted. Like, why do you have a sound guy that brings his dog to church? That's the glorious mess. You're like, what, what's a glorious mess? That. That is a glorious mess. Another pastor friend of mine said, I'm just trying to get my people not to vape during worship. I'm like, well, maybe, they, maybe you got rid of the other smoke machines and they thought they'd bring their own. <laughs> That's a glorious mess. God will wink at it a couple times, and you got to dry up those choo-choo trains. And, amen. So you don't have to have a healing line for pneumonia. Have you suffered so many things in vain, if yet be in vain? Verse 5, he therefore that ministers to you the Spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works? Let's not even call it law. Let's just call it works. Now, that's a, that's a, a double-edged term because we have to work. Parenting is work. Having a career is work. Reading your Bible is work. Putting your flesh under is work. But we don't allow it to become works. It's a work that extends out of our love for our God. I'm faithful to my wife because I love her. I work and bring home money for my kids because I love them. I, I provide a house for them because it's, it's my love for them. It's all a work. But it, it's not a work. Anytime you start to do things out of an obligation, the necessary work will always become a works, and works are mentally exhausting. Works are mentally exhausting. When it's not works, you can easily put left hand yellow, right hand green, and it's not a work. He that ministers the Spirit and works miracles among you. Does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Notice that there is a working of miracles. It has to be worked. Ministering is work. He does it, though, by faith. We're all going to come short of the glory of God. We're all going to fail. We're all going to mess things up. 
We don't fall apart when we do. We fall into prayer. That's the only way you're going to fix any of it anyway. And there are sometimes you just have to say, well, I did all I could do today. Father, make up the difference and be okay with that. And say, well, you know, I studied as much as I could. Only God can sort out that exam. And it'll be what it'll be. I wasn't a slacker. I may need to have some uh, tutoring next semester if I have to retake this class. But there's no sense beating yourself up over it. And God understands we're all different. You may not be good at math. You may not be good at history. But you give it your best. You may not be the best employee. But you give it your best. And your best needs to get better. But if we're always trying to be perfect and, and flawless, that's a rule nobody can live under. Our kids can't live under that. We can't live under that. We learned that we couldn't live under it from our parents or their parents, so we shouldn't enforce it on people. There is an upward calling, and there is always better, but on, on the way to getting better, you're going to fail. On the way to playing any instrument, you're going to squawk. You're going to miss chords. You're going to biff. Biff is part of the equation. On the way to learning a second language, you're going to misconjugate, mispronounce. Right, Gadiel? Right, Upper Cumberland white people? Yurt. Yeah, it's part of it. But nobody cares. On the way to getting good at a sport, you're going to miss, you're going to shank, you're going to strike out. It's part of it. We're trying to aim for sinless perfection, and it's impossible. We're trying to be flawless daily, and it is impossible. Every day, part of the equation is failure. And we have to be okay with that. I don't want you to embrace it, but I don't want you to fear it. If you're going to learn to walk with Christ, you're going to trip. Me and a good friend of mine, Greg, we still go backpacking together. We've been friends since 95. And we kind of have this dumb running jack gag joke. We backpack. He's a geologist. I'm a geologist. And, uh, you know, he's my age, so we're, we're at 46, 47. So we've been walking 46, 47 years. And still backpacking, you'll walk and trip. And rather than stumble, we, we've done this since college, we take off running like we meant to do that. And it becomes this joke like, I'm the idiot. Did you see me do that? If all of a sudden one of us just takes off running, we know that they caught their toe. And in order to save face, we just took off running. And so it just becomes this little thing we both smile at. Like, you biffed it. And he's like, hey, no, 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 I meant to run. It just felt like it was time to run. You've been walking 46 years. And you still manage to trip when you have a backpack on your back and rocks everywhere. It's part of life. You even watch the Olympics. You watch world-class skiers going downhill at 70 miles an hour. They'll still crash on occasion, usually every day. But I'm not going to condemn them. I mean, they're going downhill on sticks at 70 miles an hour. We're trying to be perfect, and we cannot be. We're trying to be flawless. We cannot be. We have a sin nature. Everything we do will have failure built into the equation everything. Absolutely everything we endeavor to do while we breathe this air will have failure as part of the equation. It will never be 100% accurate. The newer it is, the newer you are at it, the more failure you're going to participate in. And God looks at it and says, man, that's awesome. It's beautiful because it's our best. He doesn't even see the mistakes. See, when your kids learn an instrument or your kids draw a painting or your kids start to write you letters and they can't even get an E right and it looks like Toys R Us written backwards, it means the world to you. You, don't, you have to get a decipher ring out to figure out what are they even saying. Justice, 
I'm so glad public school people won't get a hold of him because it looks like he's dyslexic because he writes everything right to left like it's a Hebrew or Japanese. Even, it's like he's writing it in a mirror, really. He writes justice with everything backwards right to left. And all of his cards, he will look at, I love you, Grandma, Bo, and he'll write the whole thing backwards. And it means the world to Grandma. I'm the one that's a little nervous about it. We'll get it sorted out, though. Plus, he's left-handed, too. <laughs> Nobody cares. It's, is it perfect? Furthest thing from it. If he's 20 doing it this way, we have issues. But even when he's 20, whatever he's doing is going to have flaws in it. When he's 20, if he's in college, his professor's going to look at his work and say, all right, you have a semester to get a lot better at this. We need to understand that as long as we have a sin nature and an unrenewed mind, or even a renewed mind that still has blanks, everything we do is going to come short of the glory of God. And that's okay. That is my friend's glorious mess. That is our glorious mess. I tell our worship team, fail with a good heart. You can fail and be anointed. I read some of the best theological works and they're glorious. And you'll find something you read it go, that ain't right. That's not God at all. I've even found Bibles with typos. Oh, talk about sacrilege. That Bible will still get people born again though. So we need to hear me carefully. We prayed it over a couple people. We need to loosen up because you, you can't loosen the knot by pulling on it tighter. You got to stop. Be still. Know that he is God and start to work things a little loose. Some, for some tonight, I could see that as I laid hands on him, it was like the Lord just took that rope and just yanked it and the knot just magically, we should say supernaturally, just resolved itself. Others, God was doing something else in. Others, I believe the Lord will minister or maybe parents will help kids recognize where this is coming from. Maybe it's a friendship. Maybe it's a hobby. There's a lot of different mental things that were up here tonight. But for a bulk of us, it's trying to be perfect. We are a teaching church. We will always be a teaching church. Teaching can be a two-edged curse because it'll teach you something that you got to live up to. And the second you realize you're not, you'll fall into condemnation. But the reason we teach it is because it needs to be taught. It's not to condemn anybody. It's to expand the horizon and raise the standard. The, the other cur curse of it is the more you hear it, the more you become accountable for it. So either you strive for it in legalism and fail and beat yourself up, or you don't strive for it at all and you get lazy and God deals with you over it. Either way, we have to advance, but we adjust our heart knowing full well our God expects us to fail. I have failed a lot as a pastor in 15 years, and none of it bothers me because I think, Lord, you're the one that called me. So this is your fault. <laughs> you called me knowing full well nobody prepared me for this. That was their fault. So I'm like this modern generation. None of it's my fault. I'm just going to keep failing. <laughs> no, it doesn't bother me because he knows he's having me do stuff I've never done before, and it's not going to come out right the first time we throw ourselves at it. So we back up and say, all right, well, that's not right. What do we do now? And we just keep going at it. You have to get good at failure. You have to accept it. You have to embrace it because it's part of getting better. You can't get better without failing. And staying the same is not acceptable. God would rather you shoot for the stars, shoot while well, Brother Hagin said, shoot for the moon, fall among the stars. Shoot for something great and go splat at least five meters further than you are today. Or be fearful and just do nothing. But God wants us to be free. 
and be free to mess up, be free to make mistakes. Proverbs says the righteous man falls the seven times and gets right back up. You just keep falling and getting back up. We cannot be afraid of failure. Teach your kids to be free to fail. Don't yell at them. Don't scream at them. Don't bark at them. All that is is a reflection of internal turmoil. You've got to make sure that you walk with God enough to be able to look at them through grace and say, that's, that's beautiful, sweetie. You messed up. That's great. Let's try a little better next time, but I love it. Let's put it on the refrigerator right here. And make sure you brag on your kids. Make sure you brag on them. Make sure you're clear with them. Because the last thing you want is their walk with God to be confused and legalistic and fear-driven. Your kids need to know that they, you freely accept them and love them for all their mistakes. You'll have to teach them that they're all different among themselves, and they all have strengths and they all have weaknesses. You love them all the same, but differently. Amen. And feed their strengths and strengthen their weaknesses. We should find one more verse. Galatians 4. Let's look at verse 5. To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. I like it. We were redeemed from under the law, that we might be sons. We're still bound to laws. Every household has laws. But it's like before we were under the law that if we weren't perfect, we were cast out. But now as sons or daughters, there's so much more grace, mercy, and abundance of love. And he purchased us. Verse 6, And because we are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, or it would be the Hebrew of Daddy, Daddy, Father. When your children are yet young and tender, they call you daddy and mommy. I like the, the Kennedys have papa, because papa is nothing you can grow out of. I, already my kids, when, they, when one of them wanted to start shortening it to dad and mom, like, nope, nope, that ain't flying. We're still daddy, and we're still mommy. And we will forever be daddy, and we will forever be mommy. I like this, that it's daddy, even as a grown adult, even as an apostle, it's daddy. Because that's the tenderness that is accepted. The tenderness is, I messed up expecting dad to help. You know, I, I remember one of my cousins got very uh, rebellious and began calling her mother by her first name in high school. Such disrespect. That's of this to say we're equal. But it isn't just father here, it's daddy. Father's authority, daddy is the gentle, loving acceptance. And I love that the Spirit of God emphasizes both to us. That we have a heavenly Father, and yet part of our relationship is still calling him Daddy. Boy, I messed up. Would you hold me? I'm so sorry. Can we go shopping now? Would you make me ice cream? I'm tired. I'm cold. Just hold me. There's that part of that Daddy, which is just hold me and carry me. Even Bud Bud, you know, he's, of course, he's our last, and he's getting too big. He's hanging off both sides of what we call the rock rock chair. And uh, I, every once in a while, he still likes his mama to rock him. I'll say, Bud, Bud, you're getting too big to, to almost rock anymore. And he said, Daddy, one day when I'm bigger than you, I will rock rock you. <laughs> I will hold you and rock rock you. And I look forward to that day where he will hold me. Because that's what he knows. That's what he knows is love. Does he get whippings? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's not afraid of them. And I'm sorry, Daddy. We wear his bum out, we pray, then we go back to whatever we're doing. 
but he still wants to be held. And this, this, this spirit right here that lives in us, that we receive by faith, not by perfectionism, not by legalism, not by circling every dot, just perfect on this ACT called life. But this spirit we receive by faith still pulses in our being saying, he's still a daddy. Every culture understands a daddy. Even if you didn't, every culture still has the concept of a daddy. And I want you to be encouraged that for all of our mistakes, God is still a daddy who wants to hold us, encourage us, wipe the tear. He's a daddy that does not expect perfectionism. You may have had a ruthless father, but our God is a daddy and a father. There's a stern hand of a father, but then there's that, that tenderness of a daddy that will always be there should you want it. And you should want it. Because it's that, that compassion that understands our shortcomings and wants to walk us through everything. You know, a father is something you go do something kind of on your own together, but a daddy, he's sitting there with you helping you through everything, right? Bud Bud likes his BB gun. So we actually, I have to hold the gun while he cocks it, and we violate all manner of gun safety with that. Because he, he has to, I have to hold it, he has to take it, he punches the handle forward because he can't quite get it yet. Then he hits it. And then he, he steps back and gives it the judo palm and slams it shut. And he shoots right-handed, but he's left eye dominant. So we're holding everything and I got to hold his eye shut. And we're trying just not to kill a cow or something behind my house. <laughs> in the daddy stage, my hands are on everything. And no matter where we get in Christ, there's always going to be a daddy stage. And he fully expects that. He delights in it. So please don't feel like you've got to be flawless in everything. There's still times you say, Daddy. And for some of us, it's hard to even say that because we never had that with our own fathers. But we have it with our God. Anytime God asks me to do something new, my heart, not that I say, Daddy, I say, all right, Lord, I'm going to need your help on all of this. Just take me by the hand because I have no idea what we're doing here. It's always going to be that way. Then as we grow and stand on our own in something in Christ, he steps back. He doesn't have to hold the air rifle. We can cock it ourselves. He may say, all right, try this. All right, try that. Let me go out there and set a smaller target. Let's do a moving target. Let's see how good you are. Now it's father testing you, pushing you, proving. He's, he's gone through the daddy stage. But the wonderful thing is you do this enough, there's always the next daddy stage because there's always the next promotion in Christ. When you're young and inexperienced in things, you're always saying, what now, daddy? What now, daddy? How do I do this now, daddy? And you also know that when you call him daddy, there's an abundance of mercy and grace for the failures and mistakes. So I think that's my message for tonight. I really had a good message about the Lord of the Seboeth requesting harvesters and why one group was 12 and the other group was 70 and why the 12 was sent only to the Jews but the 70 was sent everywhere. What does that signify? Why are 70 sent out to everybody? And that corresponds with the 70 nations and the 70 oxen at Sukkoth, the, the, the festival of Sukkoth. There's really cool typology there, but we're not going to get legalistic. <laughs>